You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how are you doing this fine Sunday morning? I'm doing great. You know, there's a very important sports in Pittsburgh today. They're playing New England. Is that a, that's all right, I think? That is. I've got a lot riding on that game. I'm in my fantasy football playoffs in the semifinals. And I need Le'Veon Bell to do some work. Oh, man, you're telling me. And you you better believe that I'm invested in this sports game, too. <laughs> uh, but I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to uh, to talk about some Cube with you today. How are you? For sure. I am doing well. Also, I've been jamming some Vintage Masters, and it's been going pretty well. Are you just crushing every format you've ever played in your life? Is that how, how it's going? Because that's how it seems to me. <laughs> I mean, I've been running pretty well. I can't complain. Uh, I have been playing poorly, though. <laughs> so good, good, good luck has been overcoming some poor play uh so i've got i've got four trophies in 10 drafts in vintage masters and i started off hot again i trophied my first two drafts i have an overall 22 and 8 record for a 73 percent win rate and if i had been playing better i might have like seven to eight trophies i have punted away several games in this format already it's tough there's a lot of onboard interactions there's ways Mm. to like triggers to miss there's cards to read reading cards is hard man (laughs) i think one of the easiest things to misplay is that lightning rift and astral slide trigger when either opponent cycles yeah so light lightning rift and astral slide are two build around enchantments astral slide triggers and you can blink a creature for a turn like it comes Mm -hmm. back on your end step and lightning rift you can pay one to shock someone whenever anyone cycles um i've definitely killed myself to my opponent's lightning rift uh yeah that's one of the ways i have punted already <laughs> um and then in ixalan i've done a few more drafts before vintage masters came out so i now have 32 trophies in 92 drafts for 184 and 85 overall record for a 68 percent win rate and how many sailor of means have you drafted <laughs> nowhere near as many as you <laughs> so we've done we figured out what our our top drafted commons uh were in the format and uh mostly because i think you were just you just were looking on stream right you had a sailor of means count yeah uh, so then i went and looked because i was curious and and in this time i've been being harassed about not being a true lover of dirtle and my my most drafted cards confirmed that my most drafted card is one with a win and then followed closely by bishop soldier so i've been on i've been on the beard plan more than i've been on the dirtle plan yeah my like top five drafted commons are sailor of means prosperous pirates depths of desire and then <laughs> bishop soldier one with the wind that's hilarious so it's just like both archetypes represented heavily in my top five commons so Ixalan, I it looks like this will probably be it. I don't know if I'll be drafting any more triple Ixalan uh, with Cube coming out, um, but I've got 56 trophies in 209 drafts for a 65% win rate, and pretty happy with that. I mean, never re- quite recovered from my initial dip in uh, in the format, but once we once we cracked the beard episode. Uh, things started looking up. And in Vintage Masters, uh, also just been in 2-1 City. So I have two trophies in 11 drafts, a 23-10 and 10 record for a 70% win rate. For that high of a win rate, that's a very low number of trophies. Like, So you've been just been 2-1-ing just all the two, time. I've, I won 2 once, trophied twice, and the rest have been 2-1s. Yep. But it's a, it's a fun format, but I'm not going to be sad to see it go. Like, It's pretty obnoxious when you have like a quote-unquote fair deck or whatever you can just play against someone who opened a busted rare because the power level is just so much higher than the rest of the stuff in the format i don't know it's uh not super fun that's yeah that's interesting like i i had one like my third draft or so i was pretty off the format but since then like 
since I've been punting and stuff, I don't know if it's just because I've been playing poorly. So I have a desire to do it more to like figure out how to play the format better. But I really want to play a lot more. Interesting. I'm just just counting down the days for Cube. <laughs> um, so before we get into our main discussion today, our Vintage Cube Crash Course, uh, we wanted to shout out a few of our new patrons. That's right. You too could become a supporter of the show on patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. If you want to give back to the show financially, you now can do so. And one of the perks for that in addition to getting access to our show notes, maybe a little pre-show recording to hear some behind-the-scenes work on the show, or access to our Lords of Limited Discord channel. And in addition to all those perks, you get a shout-out on the show for your first ever support. So Devin, Joseph, Zhuang, and Steven, thank you so much for joining the Lords of Limited Patreon this week. We cannot express our appreciation enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yep. And thanks for joining the Discord, too, everybody that's come in. The Discord exploded this weekend. Yeah. And I think it's going to be awesome. I'm I'm super psyched. Like, so uh, for those of you that don't know what Discord is, it's kind of like a, I didn't even know really what it was until, I don't know, a month ago or so. It's like mm-hmm. a, a voice. It's like Skype, right? Except you can uh, you can instant message on it to groups. So, like, mm-hmm. for example, somebody in our Discord might post a draft and then everybody that's in the discord says yeah it looks great or you know i might consider switching out this three drop for this three drop and yours has been going super well you have one for your twitch channel also right i do yeah yeah and that one's got like i don't know 25 30 people in it more than mm-hmm. that and it's it's really active and ours uh has been slow and then this weekend a bunch of people join or talking and it's gonna be it's gonna be tons of fun i think i was really excited someone posted in last night that they went seven and two in day one of gp new jersey so shout out to them and i'm really excited to see how they do today so fingers crossed um also wanted to do one more uh shout out to a really awesome member of the magic community known as schmuck of all trades on uh twitch and schmuck fl trades on twitter uh he did this really cool eight days of hanukkah he was going to make for each night of Hanukkah, make a token for a member of the magic community. And he started off with a really amazing token of you. And then last night I was lucky enough to get one as well. And they're both really awesome, both on Twitter. I'm looking forward to seeing all eight of them. The dude is super talented and I just like, I'm so honored to be included in, in this. I don't know. It feels like a giveaway that he's doing. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy cool. And the drawings are A+. Plus. Like so, so cool. Yeah, so go go give him a follow on Twitter if you are on Twitter and a Magic member. And if not, get on Twitter because it's like the coolest place to be for uh, degenerate Magic drafting. It really is. Thank you so much, Schmuck. Yeah. Um, all right, so what do we got on tap for today, Ben? We are going to talk about Vintage Cube and how to draft it properly. So should we do a little overview about like what people can expect from the Vintage Cube in general? Yeah, so I guess we should start at the top. Uh, there's 540 cards in the cube, uh, which is a f- medium-sized cube. I think mm-hmm. some cubes are either like 365, 40, or 720, right? Right. Generally. Um, so you're not going to see every card, every draft. And this is different from the Legacy Cube, which we kind of talked about uh, in our first episode about cube, which was Introduction to Cube. So if you've not checked that out uh, and you like this episode, I would go there. That's going to give you some basics. Uh, and then we're going to dive into the specifics of the Vintage Cube. And what, what separates this cube from the Legacy Cube is that this cube is powered, which means it's got uh, the Power Nine, so the Moxes, Black Lotus, Time Walk, Ancestral Recall, and Time Twister, which means you're going to be trying to do way more busted unfair stuff uh, than you are in other cubes. Um, so that changes several things about pick orders here. Uh, just in general, dual lands and the fetch lands 
are going to be super high picks because you're going to have really powerful cards that you're interested in splashing in your decks. Mm-hmm. Really powerful like one mana or one colored mana requirement cards like Time Walk, Ancestral Recall, Mind Twist, Balance, those kinds of things. Yes, absolutely. And there's also a lot of like two card combos that we'll we'll talk about in the episode that are very powerful and or maybe win you the game on the spot. So there's a lot of tutors in this cube also uh, named after Demonic Tutor, which is one in a black, search your library for any card, then shuffle your library and put that card into your hand. And there's other tutors that have like more restrictions on them than that. So you're going to want to pick those up pretty highly also because they let you have essentially an extra copy of those two card combo pieces. Uh, and you can go fetch whichever one you don't have in your hand. And just some other like very basic general considerations, those power nine we mentioned, don't pass them. If your pack has a mox in it, you have to take the mox, assuming your goal is to win because the the acceleration you get is just so over the top good. And it can feel bad because like you might be seeing something that's like really fun as a spell in the pack there is a bit of a feel bads in these cubes i think because you can open like oh i really want to play this card but there's a mox in the pack so like i just have to take the mox because you just get a free land in your deck and you can't pass that up it's really increases the power level of your deck in in ways that you don't quite think they will initially yes so for like you and i opening balance in a mox would be (laughs) a feel bad situation that'd be a real feel bad yeah I think I think this podcast might have come about because of both of our loves for how we draft cube. Like yeah. the card balance. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah, it's it's I think where our magic interests overlap the most. Uh and another thing, there are signets in this cube, which are two mana mana rocks, uh that you can pay one mana, a generic mana, and tap them, and they add, like, for example, Rakdos Signet adds black red. Um, and those are super high picks because they fix you really well and they ramp you and ramping with artifact mana is very, very good in this cube. Yeah. So we will put a a link in the show notes to the like full card list here. We're going to do our best as we go through talking about different archetypes and different uh, interactions to describe what all the cards do. We may gloss over some things or shortcut some things. So if you want to to get a, a sense for these cards that you're unfamiliar with, you can take a look at that full card spoiler to get a better uh, sense of what those those cards do. What you were talking about with Signets just now is, I think, a really good segue into one of the two main differences for what this cube has to offer versus non-powered cubes, which is the fast mana from Artifact. So what, what does that look like? There's tons of it, and it's really, really good. So starting off with the Moxes, the zero mana Artifacts uh, that tap to add color, colored mana, the Signets, uh, there's Mind Stone, which is two mana. Uh, we just recently saw this in Iconic Masters. Mm-hmm. It's two mana for the Mana Rock, tap to add a colorless mana, and you can pay a single colorless mana to tap it and sack it to draw a card. There's Mana Vault. That's one mana, and you can tap it to add three colorless mana. So it ramps you by three turns almost mm-hmm. uh, when you untap with it the following turn. There's Mana Crypt, uh, zero mana for an artifact that taps to add two colorless mana to your mana pool. So ramps you by two turns. Uh, and then you have to flip a coin every turn. And if you lose the flip, you take three damage. So there's a lot of exciting turns with Mana Crypt <laughs> in the Vintage Cube. Uh, but it's very powerful. And that drawback is not as big as it seems. And a lot of people pass Mana Crypt when they should not. Uh, it's close to Soul Ring on power level, which is our next card. Uh, single colorless mana for an artifact that taps to add two colorless mana. Probably the single best card in the Vintage yeah. Cube. M- most people consider Soul Ring to be the best card in the Powered Cube, which is surprising because it's not power. Yes. It's not the power nine. So there, there is like when we're talking about like Mana Vault and Mana Crypt and Soul Ring. You know, there's more than just power nine that feels quote unquote unpassable. And these cards definitely slot in there. 
Um, and so these these can ramp you to a lot of colorless, powerful planeswalkers. There's a lot of colorless artifact things to ramp into, uh, like worm coil engine, etc. Just big fatties. Getting stuff out ahead of schedule uh, is a big way to win games. And so everybody's drafting these artifacts really highly, which also means that artifact hate goes up in value. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of creatures that enter the battlefield to blow up artifacts. There's, uh, oh, what's the red-green split card? Ancient Grudge. Ancient Grudge. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that can destroy two artifacts. It's got flashback. It's one in a red to destroy target artifact. Then it's got flashback of a green uh, to destroy target artifact at instant speed. That card's great. Yeah, that's a kind of card that you would think is sideboard material only and it is definitely definitely main deckable in this format yes absolutely there's also mishra's workshop if you go all in on artifacts that's mm-hmm. the land that can tap to add three colorless mana to your mana pool to only cast artifact spells um so that can let you get some big artifacts out ahead of schedule and cheat on mana and you'll notice a big theme of what we're talking about with this and some other decks is cheating on mana to do some busted stuff like if, if your deck's not doing something that would be considered quote unfair it's maybe not going to be a winning deck. There are some decks that aren't unfair that try to prey on those decks that we'll talk about. But in yeah. general, you want to be trying to do something busted. Yeah. So the first of those decks that takes advantage of the artifact fast mana that we want to talk about is a white red based control deck. This is probably my favorite kind of deck to draft in the cube. So it takes advantage of a card balance, which is probably my favorite card in all of magic. So balance is one and a white for a sorcery that has you and your opponent go down to equal numbers of cards in hand, lands, and creatures in play. Um, So if your opponent has more creatures than you, they have to sacrifice a number of creatures to get down to be balanced with you on creatures, lands in play as well, and cards in hand. So if you dump out a bunch of artifacts uh, from your hand, artifacts you'll notice are not counted on balance so you can have more artifacts than your opponent and not be punished for that so you play a bunch of artifacts you play balance uh, maybe you don't have as many lands in play as your opponent and you get to stone run stone rain them a couple times and get some cards out of their hand because they haven't been accelerating as fast as you it's it's really incredible balance is just like a really fun card to play with and really punishing in a lot of scenarios um, another card that goes well into this kind of deck is uh, Wildfire or Burning of Zinye, which is a functional reprint of Wildfire, which is four red red for a sorcery. Uh, each player sacrifices four lands and it deals four damage to each creature. So sort of like a, a mini Wrath of God plus blowing up a bunch of lands, which takes advantage of you having all of these artifacts that produce mana so that you don't care about sacrificing your four lands. So you're wiping the board, you're staying ahead on permanence. Balance is a super powerful card worth building around. I feel like every time I'm like, oh, in this iteration of cube, people will be taking it as high as they should be and they never do like i keep seeing it like fifth sixth seventh like just take balance it's great splash it play it in your deck you'll be happy i feel like yeah (laughs) i i love this deck is also my favorite deck in cube and balance is also probably my favorite magic card of all time and people like even in twitch chat like they've seen us do well with this deck and they still don't want to pick balance like ever it feels like it's so good it's so hard for me to pass this card and correct me if i'm wrong gargadon is not in the power cube anymore. it's not right? yeah no it's not which feels bad that was originally what got me loving balance yeah um so greater gargadon is nine and a red for a nine seven creature that has suspend for a single red um and while it's suspended it has the ability to sack an artifact a creature or a land to remove a time counter from it so the wombo combo is to suspend greater gargadon and then float mana with with balance. Uh, So you tap all your lands, cast balance. With balance on the stack, you sacrifice all your lands, 
and all your creatures, and then it balance wipes your opponent's board, and then Gargadon comes unsuspended because you sacrificed all this stuff to it, and you kill your opponent with a 9-7 while they have no lands or creatures on the battlefield. That feels so dirty when you do it the first time. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah. All right, next in these uh, red base control decks, they take advantage of... And red, like the card, the colors, the two colors that go well with artifacts are red and blue. Mm-hmm. But you can pair pair any colors with this this artifact mana. Um, so there's red red decks that have uh, Dak Faden. So Planeswalker, one blue, red, comes into play with three starting loyalty. You can plus one Dak to draw two cards and discard two cards. You can target any player with that ability. You can minus two to steal target artifact. And his ultimate is something like minus six Six, whenever you cast a spell you take an opponent's thing or something it's so funny because like this never happens i think it's whenever a spell you cast targets a permanent you gain control you gain control of it yeah which is just like hard to be relevant because most spells you have that target things are going to be removal spells yeah for sure uh and there's another planeswalker called duretti this is one of my favorites uh Mm -hmm. three in a red three starting loyalty this is going to test my knowledge of vintage cube cards geez yeah uh it's three in a red for a planeswalker that's got three starting loyalty you plus two you can discard up to two cards then draw that many cards uh, you can also minus two and sacrifice an artifact and swap it uh, with an artifact that's in your graveyard and his ultimate is minus 10 uh, which has happened before it, mm-hmm. it's he ticks up fast you get an emblem with whenever an artifact is put into your graveyard from the battlefield return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step so can let you do a lot of filthy things, especially with a card called Mind Slaver uh, that lets you take control of target players next turn. You can get a Mind Slaver lock uh, going on to where you can keep casting Mind Slaver over and over and taking control of your opponent's turns. So these let you like burn through your deck really quickly. Uh, and there's a lot of big artifacts that are common to like to kind of swap out if you get them into your graveyard. Sundering Titan's kind of the best one of those. It's eight mana for a seven ten artifact creature, and when it enters the battlefield or leaves the battlefield. Uh, you get to blow up a basic land of each type and you can target whatever's best for you. Obviously, like if your opponent's got a lot of basics or a lot of duels on their side, you can pick more of their lands than you do of yours. Yeah. Blue based decks take advantage of artifacts with some fairly obvious payoffs. One of the cards is Tolarian Academy, which is a land that taps to add a blue mana to your mana pool for each artifact you control. So it sort of like builds upon the amount of ramp you're getting from all of your artifacts tinker is another payoff so tinker is uh, another one of these payoffs it's two and a blue for a sorcery as an additional cost to cast tinker sacrifice an artifact and then you can search your library for an artifact and put it into play so it basically swaps an artifact you have in play with an artifact in your deck and there are a lot of big we just talked about sundering titan there's blightsteel colossus which is like an 11 11 indestructible trample infect creature there's uh i'm blanking on the the name but it's a 710 shroud trample island walk creature oh yeah i know what you're talking about it costs like seven blue blue or something uh it's so so there's like these big artifacts that are really good to go and and tutor for with tinker so that's a card that if you see that you probably just want to pick it up one because it's splashable and two because there's a lot of busted artifacts floating around yeah, there's also a lot of draw sevens in this cube, which are some of my favorite cards to draft. Mm-hmm. And so those draw sevens would be like each player discards their hand and draw seven cards, some variant of that. So there's Time Twister. That's one of the power nine, two and a blue. Uh, each player discards their hand, draw seven, and you reshuffle your graveyards into your library. Uh, Wheel of Fortune. Each player discards their hand and draws seven cards. That costs two and a red. 
Uh, there's Time Spiral for blue blue uh, for a sorcery that lets you untap six lands after you cast it. Uh, so essentially, it's kind of free the turn that you cast it, mm-hmm. um, and it does the same thing as Time Twister, where you pitch your hand, reshuffle your graveyard, draw a new seven. Uh, Memory Jar is an artifact that costs mm. five, uh, and you put it onto the battlefield, and it's got the ability of tap and sacrifice it right at that moment instant speed each player discards their no exiles their hand and draws a new seven and then at the end of the turn you discard whatever you didn't use of those seven cards and you get your old hand back Mm -hmm. so it's like a draw seven for a turn yes Uh uh-huh so you need to have a lot of mana in play to be able to cast those cards that you get when you crack that um there's also discard sevens uh mind twist and Rakdos return uh mm-hmm. so mind twist is black x and target player discards x cards at random and Rakdos's return is red black x target player discards x cards and loses x life so those are ways to like really abuse this artifact fast mana you can make your opponent discard cards with mind twist and Rakdos's return or with the draw sevens like the idea is that you play all this artifact mana really fast out of your hand and your opponent uh, is hopefully not cheating on mana as much as you are. So they're stuck with more cards in their hand when you cast the draw seven. And then you're way up on cards from what your opponent's got. Yeah, there's a lot of colorless bombs that you can just ramp into. We've talked about a few of them, Sundering Titan. Uh, there's a lot of Eldrazi in the cube. So these are just colorless bombs that when you cast them often have an, uh, a cast trigger. So Kozilek has a, a trigger when you draw four cards. There's a couple Ulamogs that destroy permanence when you cast them. So those are cards that you benefit from casting off of this fast mana. Uh, a couple colorless planeswalkers in Karn Liberated and Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Um, just a lot of things that take advantage of, of fast mana in this in this format. There's also uh, a deck built around a card called Upheaval. Uh, it's mm. pretty a pretty iconic cube card. Uh, Upheaval is four blue-blue for a sorcery, and it says return all permanence to their owner's hand on the battlefield, including lands. Um, so the idea with that uh, in these artifact ramp decks is that you build out all this artifact mana and you maybe float like 10, 12 mana the turn you cast upheaval. Uh, so then you've got maybe four or six mana left over in your mana pool after everything gets returned to your hand and you can redeploy all that artifact mana or you can play a planeswalker the turn after you wipe the board of everything and kind of take take over the game and win that way. Yeah, upheaval is probably my second favorite cube card. So the other major difference between Powered Cube and Non-Powered Cube is the presence of Storm as an archetype. And this is probably one of the most daunting things about Powered Cube. I think uh, these decks are fairly interactive. A lot of like streamers or magic content producers online really gravitate towards these decks because they're very fun and very powerful. But it's really hard to figure out how to draft. So we're going to try and outline some, some basics of Storm drafting here for you. So the main thing to be aware of are the Storm payoff cards. And we should, I guess, should talk about what Storm as a mechanic is. So Storm as a me- uh, mechanic is uh, something that says when you cast this card, you copy it for each spell cast previously in that turn. So if your opponent casts something and you've cast something and then you cast a card that has Storm, you will get to copy it twice. Now, that's not really what you're trying to do here. In these decks, you're trying to have your storm count be 10, 15, 20, so that you can cast uh, one of these storm payoffs and have it end the game the turn you you storm off, quote-unquote. So those cards are going to be Tendrils of Agony, which is two black-black. Target player loses 
two life and you gain two life. Brain Freeze is one in a blue for an instant that says target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. Um, this is slightly worse with uh, a few Eldrazi or other cards floating around that say when it goes into the graveyard, you shuffle your graveyard back into your library. So you can sort of get wrecked a little bit when you try and mill your opponent with Brain Freeze and then they just shuffle in their spaghetti monsters back into their deck. Yeah, that feels so bad. You do all this math to like figure yeah. out how you can get up to like 10 spells cast in a turn brain freeze them and you and then they flip an eldrazi and you just did all this work for nothing and you know you're gonna lose the game (laughs) yeah mind's desire is four blue blue for uh sorcery that says reveal the top card of your library you may cast that card this turn without paying its mana cost so you can you know if you storm for a bunch you get to reveal the top x cards of your library and, and play all of those empty the warrens is three and a red for sorcery make two one one goblin creature tokens and there's actually a couple uh less intuitive cards that that essentially have storm on them so there's mana gorge or hydra uh which is two and a green for a one one creature with trample whenever a player casts a spell you put a plus one plus one counter on it and gutter snipe which is two and a red for a two two whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell you may deal two damage to target opponent so those are all things that take advantage of you casting a bunch of spells for sure and important to note with mind's desire before you start you have to shuffle your library so you can't you can't like stack the top of your your deck uh, to cast some sweet spell for free there's some key cards that really make this this storm deck tick uh, for you to be able to get up to a, a high storm count the single most important card in the spells based version of the deck is yogmoth's will uh, and that's two and a black for a card that lets you essentially recast everything in your graveyard. So while while after you cast Yogmoth's Will, any card you cast from your hand goes into exile. But any card that was already in your graveyard, you can recast. So that gives you access to your entire graveyard full of spells that are ideally like rituals that produce mana for you. So that are going to net you mana and or like cheap cantrips that replace themselves that's going to fill up your hand and try to give you a number of spells to cast up your storm count to 10. So some things you might find in your graveyard after casting Yogmoth's Will. Lion's Eye Diamond, uh, this is kind of the poor man's Black Lotus. Uh, it's zero mana for an artifact that can tap to add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. Um, and after you do that, you have to discard your hand. No, 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 no. Reverse, right? Discard, you have to, yeah, discard, yeah. you discard your hand and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's important. <laughs> it is important. Lion's Eye Diamond is one of the trickiest cards to play on Magic Online, I think just in general, but it, I feel like you can get yourself into this trap of being like, well, if I do this and then I can sacrifice that, it's like, nope, your hand has to be gone. Your hand will be gone when you have that mana floating in your mana pool. So you just have to keep that in mind. Yeah, you can't, you can't. The thing you always try, or at least the thing I always try to do. Well, this is a terrible conversation for the podcast. <laughs> no, it's great. You try. You, I know what you're going to say. You you take. You're trying to cast Yogwill off of Lion's Eye. Yes, Diamond. which does not work. You yes. can never do it. Yeah, <laughs> you can never do it because with the three mana from Lion's Eye Diamond, you always discard your Yogmas Will. And yeah. Chad's usually yelling me at this point, and I'm sweating <laughs> and like. <laughs> <laughs> drafting storm on stream is atrociously stressful well if if you're not good at it like yeah. lsv or somebody streaming storm is just like beautiful to watch yeah. <laughs> you, you and i drafting storm is like eh, it's hit or miss yeah so and then black lotus also is super powerful with yogmas will so black lotus essentially nets you six mana um, because you can recast it out of your graveyard and get another three mana back. Um, and then all these these cantrips like Serum Visions, etc. are going to give you a cheap spell and let you draw a card. So Yawgmoth's Will is pretty busted in the Storm deck. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we talked about the the cards that produce mana, Lion's Eye Diamond, Black Lotus. There's the Rituals. Dark Ritual is a single black mana to add three black mana to your mana pool. Cabal Ritual is another similar card. High Tide is a single blue mana that basically has all your islands 
double the amount of blue mana they add. Turnabout is two blue blue for an instant that has multiple modes, but mostly it's going to say that you untap all of your lands. So all those things combine with trying to get a high storm count, which means you need to be drawing cards. So the draw sevens that we talked about earlier are very important. Time Spiral especially because it untaps the lands, so it's essentially free. But any kinds of cards that replace themselves, those one mana cantrips, Ponder, Preordain, Serum Visions, these are all things that are going to be good combo pieces to help you add to your storm count. Yeah, Time Spiral also especially good with High Tide if you've got a lot of islands. Oh, yeah. Because then when you untap your lands, you net extra mana. Um, Similarly with Heartbeat of Spring, uh, because mm-hmm. then when you, you can tap six lands. So Heartbeat of Spring is two and a green for an enchantment that uh, doubles the mana that lands produce for both players. So it's a dangerous card. But then if you time spiral, you can add double mana off of off of your lands that untap. So instead of getting six mana, casting time spiral actually nets you positive mana and you can get uh, an extra six mana when you cast time spiral. Yeah. There's also a number of tutors you want to look out for because you are trying to assemble combo pieces or maybe sometimes in these decks you have all the things but you only have one storm card. So anything that allows you to go find that storm card or find that draw seven that you need or whatever piece you need to to combo off is important. So Demonic Tutor, the one in a black searcher library for a card, put it into your hand. There's Vampiric Tutor and Imperial Seal. Those are both Demonic Tutor variants but they put the card on top of your library. Mystical Tutor is a single blue mana that is a tutor for an instant or sorcery card again you put it on top of your library instead of drawing it into your hand like demonic tutor all of those cards help you find the pieces you're looking for yeah and i think are very high picks just for most decks so you're going right. to be competing with other people for those cards though so again i feel like especially like imperial seal for some reason that that card goes pretty late and people just don't quite get that that's just very good yep it really is uh, there's also ways to go infinite in mana in the Vintage Cube, uh, which we talked about for, well, we sort of talked about a little bit. Uh, one way to do this is Heartbeat of Spring. Uh, that was the enchantment I just mentioned that doubles the mana your lands produce and Palancron. Oh, Lord. You got this. Palancron is five blue blue for a four five flyer. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you untap seven lands and it's got the ability two blue blue to return it to your hand. Um, so as soon as you get six lands in play with a heartbeat of spring, you can go infinite with Palancron because you tap your six lands that puts 12. No. Yes, you're right. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. <laughs> so you tap your six lands that puts 12 mana in your mana pool. Uh, you cast your Palancron and then you've got five mana floating because it costs seven. You use four of that mana to return it to your hand. And every time you do that, you net one mana. So it goes a lot faster. It's kind of annoying online because you have to click through it all. Sometimes it takes like five minutes to generate as much mana as you want. So it's easier if you've got more than six lands in play, but you can go infinite with just six lands in play. Um, and that that also generates infinite mana and it generates infinite storm because you get a storm count every time you cast Palancron. So that's one of the the classic ways to storm kill and probably the least complicated to figure out yeah like, I'm, I'm much more comfortable doing heartbeat palancron storm than i am like the yogmoth's will lion's eye diamond black lotus spell based storm there's a lot of times in this deck where it's sort of like a yolo thing where you're like well i can get my storm count up to like six and then i just have to cast one of these draw sevens and hope that i draw my storm card or draw a hand of cards that have more cantrips so i can loot through my deck a little bit more to find that storm card yeah, there's also like uh, it looked like in this new iteration of the cube, they added like a red component to the storm deck that hasn't really been there. That mana flare is new. That's two and a right. red for an enchantment that does the same thing as heartbeat of spring. 
uh, doubles doubles the mana from lands that you tap, and they added some red rituals like pyretic ritual and something else. Yeah, which is, I mean, good, but also empty the Warrens as the red storm card is probably the worst of the bunch. I think generally, unless you have like a way to give them all haste, because it just gives you, unlike the other storm cards. Casting Empty the Warrens for a bunch of goblins does give your opponent a turn to, like, respond with a wrath or something. Right, yeah. That also feels bad. Yeah. So, to summarize, this deck has a lot of components. You need storm pieces, you need ways to rebuy your graveyard, so either Yawgmoth's Will or, like, Regrowth or Snapcaster Mage, something like that. Uh, ritual effects, the, the spells that add more mana to your mana pool. You need card draw, draw sevens, tutors, all important pieces for the storm deck. But I do think that if you're interested in this, in drafting this deck, if you see a Yogg will in the first pack, because that's such an important piece of the deck, I think if you can snap that up early, you can cement yourself as a storm drafter. If you see one of the storm cards early, you can sort of take that. And and if people around you are drafting correctly and not just like trying to force this deck, they'll notice that those key pieces are gone and you will be able to pick up the other pieces, I think, uh, pretty easily to make this deck work. Yeah. And this deck's super fun to draft i think maybe like three or four years ago probably like the second year the vintage cube was out i was finally brave enough to try this deck after watching like caleb derward and mm-hmm. lsv and other people drafting it on channel fireball videos i was just like that looks super awesome i don't know if i know how to do this but i'm gonna try to do it <laughs> and i did it and like it's really painful the first like five times you try to draft it and you're probably gonna lose a lot but the first time you storm kill someone it feels so good <laughs> yeah you feel invincible when you do it <laughs> Yeah, I would highly recommend uh, trying it out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Green in the Vintage Cube, moving onwards. uh, Still a super powerful option, uh, but not quite as busted as it is in other cubes because there's mana rocks. So green's thing in cube is that it gets to ramp, but every other color gets to ramp in the Vintage Cube also because there's colorless mana rocks. So kind of my, my thought to green is that you should be in green if you're seeing a lot of the one mana cost mana elves. Um, that's kind of the thing that makes the green deck tick in Vintage Cube uh, and can make let your deck do some busted things ahead of schedule, um, even if you don't get the powerful artifact mana. So those would be like the War Elf variants, single green for a 1-1 that taps to add a green mana to your mana pool. There's tons of those types of elves in the Vintage Cube. And then Gaia's Cradle and Rafelos are two of the big payoffs for being green. Gaia's Cradle is a land that taps to add a green mana to your mana pool for each creature you control. So in combination with those mana elves can let you accelerate out something big as early as turn three, turn four. Uh, and Rafelos Llanowar Emissary is double green for a 2-1 that taps to add uh, green mana to your mana pool equal to the number of forests you control. Um, those are two huge payoffs for the deck and signals that the deck's open if you see them, as well as if you're seeing one mana cost mana elves wheeling, probably a sign that green is open and then you could draft this deck. So there's some super powerful uh, top end. Uh, Crater Hoof Behemoth is probably the most classic finisher here. It's five green, green, green for a five, five uh, that when it enters the battlefield, creatures you control get plus X plus X and trample equal to the number of creatures you control. And it's got haste. So if you accelerate that out with some mana dorks, probably can swing for 20 or more pretty early mm-hmm. on in the game. There's yeah. Primeval Titan, also known as Primetime, for green, green for the 6-6 six, six Titan. Uh, it's got Trample when it enters the battlefield or attacks. You get to search your library for up to two lands and put them on to the battlefield tapped. Um, and that's also very good in Vintage Cube, much more so than other cubes because there's some really, really good lands to go get in the Vintage Cube. There's Terastodon, six green, green for a 9-9 nine, nine elephant something maybe that when it enters the battlefield, you get to blow up three non-creature permanents. Uh, and then who, whoever controlled the non-creature permanents that you blew up, either you or your opponent, uh, gets to make 3-3 three, three 
elephant tokens. And there's also tooth and nail uh, as a sorcery. That's a big payoff for getting a lot of mana. That's five green, green, uh, and has two modes and entwine for two. So if you cast it for nine mana, you can do both things. You either search your library for two creature cards and put them into your hand, or you put two creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. My brother and I used to have a joke, or he used to just make fun of me every time I would have Tarasadon in my deck, because like I would just like always be winning and then cast Tarasadon and somehow manage to blow up the wrong things and then lose. Like <laughs> oh, I would just no. get so excited, be like, oh, if I just blow up all three of their lands, how could I possibly lose? Oh, I know how I lose, to them having three three threes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so bad, but that card is so fun to play with. Natural Order is a, a card that sort of puts green into a, a power echelon of its own. So natural order is two green, green for sorcery. It's sort of like tinker, but for green creatures, you sacrifice a cre- green creature and then search your library for a green creature and put it into play. So playing natural order, sacrifice an elf, go find crater of behemoth, win the game is, is something you will be groaning a lot at in this format. You can also go find Progenitus if you're feeling very spicy. This is a a creature that costs two of each color, so it costs a total of 10 mana. It's a 10-10 that has protection from everything, which is probably the stupidest line of text on a magic card. Except edicts. Except edicts, right, yeah. (laughs) It feels so bad. Yeah, and I guess wraths, right? You can still... And wraths, yeah. Dies to wraths. Progenitus is a sketchy option to go get, in my opinion, because you can never cast it, and if it's in your hand, it just feels terrible. Yeah, but you've lost to it. You've seen people natural order for progenitus. Oh, and I certainly lose. have lost yeah. to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've certainly um, lost so to it. just pointing that out that that's an option, because I feel like otherwise you just look at progenitus and you go, why is this in this format? Like, what does this do? But that's one of the most popular ways to get that into play. Yeah, this format also has uh, the ever popular website channel eldrazi.com. <laughs> it's not going to be channel <laughs> channelfireball.com here. Right. So channel is to green green uh, or green green rather uh, for a sorcery and you can pay life to add colorless mana to your mana pool after you've cast channel. Uh, and then this is going to happen to you a lot on the format. It's going to feel real bad. And when it when you do it to other people, it feels great. You turn to channel uh, and you play your Emrakul or your Eldrazi and the game is probably over. Yeah. Red deck wins. Red aggro is also uh, a popular thing in this cube, though slightly nerfed from other iterations of the cube on Magic Online. So this is a, a deck that's just trying to burn your opponent out with cheap creatures and burn spells. Two of the key cards for this deck are Sulfuric Vortex, which is one red red for an enchantment. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, uh, Sulfuric Vortex deals two damage to that player, and players can't gain life, so it like, stops life gain and deals two damage to each player. And if you're you know being more aggressive, that's going to win the game faster for you than for your opponent. Shrine of Burning Rage is also really popular in these decks. It's a two mana for an artifact. At the beginning of each of your upkeeps, and whenever you cast a red spell, you put a counter on it, and then you can pay three mana to tap and sacrifice it to deal damage to something equal to the number of counters on Shrine of Burning Rage. So this is a, a big piece of inevitability for this deck. There's also a lot of just like cheap, aggressive creatures that I'm not going to go into by uh, describing them. We've talked about this on our previous cube episodes. Goblin Guide, Hell Rider, Monastery Swift Spear, Chandra's Phoenix. Basically, anything that has haste on it and is a red creature is going to be powerful in these decks. Yeah. And if you're if you're not comfortable with Vintage Cube and you want to get into Vintage Cube, if you just pick cheap, aggressive red cards, you're probably going to have a pretty good deck. Yeah, you'll probably be able to 2-1 at least. Like these, these decks 
are often successful if uh, if you're the only person drafting them at, at your table. You're going to be able to get a really powerful deck. Yeah, and Lee, Lee Sharp, uh, if you guys don't know who he is, he works on Magic Online for Wizards, just forces this deck and talks about it on Twitter all the time and 3-0s all the time. Just by, mm-hmm. And this is the only deck he drafts <laughs> when he plays Vintage Cube, it seems like. So you want to back up cheap aggressive spells and your burn spells with some powerful red finishers. There's Thundermaw Heldkite and Stormbreath Dragon as your hasty 5-drop uh, dragons with flying there's koth of the hammer and chandra torch of defiance as your two red red planeswalkers that give you either hasty creatures or some card advantage or some burn to the face or some removal for creatures depending on which modes of those cards you choose but those those kinds of cards you don't want a ton of spells that cost four five or six mana in this deck um, but a few of them and these are some of the most powerful options that you can have yeah for sure there's also some uh, red combo decks in the cube. So Kikijiki Mirror Breaker and Splinter Twin are two cards that combo with Pestermite, Deceiver Exarch, Restoration Angel, and Zealous Conscripts. Um, so those let you get infinite uh, hasty creatures. So Kikijiki Mirror Breaker is two red, red, red for a 2-2 that uh, taps to copy a creature and give it haste, uh, target non-legendary creature, I think. And Splinter Twin is an enchantment that goes on a creature, two red, red, uh, and gives the creature the ability to copy itself uh, and make a copy of itself with haste. So you copy these creatures, Pestermite, Deceiver, Exarch, Restoration Angel, and Zealous Conscripts that have untap abilities on them. So if you land a Splinter Twin, I guess Splinter Twin doesn't combo with Restoration Angel because it blinks itself and then the Splinter Twin falls off, but uh, works with all the others. So the creatures tap, uh, make a copy of themselves, untap the thing with Splinter Twin on it, or untap your Kiki-Jiki Mirror Breaker, um, and then you make an infinite army of hasty creatures. And there's some cards uh, that help you find find those combo pieces. Recruiter of the Guards, two and a white, uh, lets you find a creature with toughness two or less. And there's another one. Imperial Recruiter. Imperial Recruiter, thank you. Uh, that lets you find a creature power two or less. And then you want to you run through Sneak Attack decks? Yeah, uh, so Sneak Attack is a, probably the most powerful one of this, but you sort of hear like Sneak In Show as a, a thing, because that's a deck in, in Vintage or, or Legacy, or I don't know, some constructed format that no one cares about. Sneak Attack is three and a red for an enchantment. You can pay one red mana to put a creature card from your hand into play. It gains haste, and then you sacrifice it at end of turn. Um, show and Tell is two and a blue for a sorcery that says each player uh, may put a artifact, creature, enchantment, or land from their hand into play through the breach is four and a red for uh, basically one shot of sneak attack sneak attack is is in my opinion the best version of these show and tell is a balanced version of this so you can kind of get blown out when your opponent puts something better than you into play but sneak attack is, is really powerful you can put some some strong creatures in your deck that you can like tutor up either sneak attack or these creatures and then you know get an eldrazi attacking for once or inferno titan comes into play deals three damage attacks deals three damage deals six damage when it's attacking maybe you even fire breathe it a little bit like the titans are really good because they have entered the battlefield and attack triggers so you get a lot of value when you sneak attack them so you want to be aware of creatures that are giving you value on that one attack or that one enter the battlefield when you sneak them out because you're only going to be able to benefit from them for one turn so it is inherent card disadvantage but usually you can make up for that by the power of those creatures sneak attack because it has you sacrifice the creatures combos really well with reanimator pieces which we're going to talk about next so these reanimator decks are black based we haven't talked about any black decks in the cube yet and that's sort of because it has kind of an identity crisis it's usually a support color for other decks because it has powerful removals or uh you're going to see blue black 
decks based around getting big creatures in your graveyard and reanimating them. So reanimate comes from the probably the three strongest cards for this are reanimate, animate dead, and necromancy, which are all different versions of you can pick a creature card from either graveyard and put it into play. Uh, All of those cards do different things. Reanimate, you lose life for it. Animate dead and necromancy are both enchantments that have some sort of drawbacks or benefits depending on how you cast them. So how do you get creatures in your graveyard with this deck, Ben? Uh, there's a lot of different ways. I think the best way is a land that's in this cube that's not in a lot of other cubes, Bizarre Baghdad. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most powerful ways to turn through your deck. So Bizarre Baghdad's a land that doesn't tap for mana. It lets you tap to draw two, two cards and dis- I got there. <laughs> taps, <laughs> lets you, taps lets you draw two cards and discard three cards. So card disadvantage, you're discarding more than you're drawing, but you get a C new cards, and you get to dump things in your graveyard that you want there. So it helps you dig towards your uh, reanimate spells while putting creatures in your graveyard. Um, And I think it's one of the only reasons for me, like as a cube drafter, that I'm going to move into reanimator. I think it's one of the best ways to make that deck tick. Blue's also got a a lot of ways to get cards in your graveyard. There's a lot of things uh, that let you loot. There's the Jace that costs two mana that lets you loot. There's Merfolk. uh, The Shadow, Looteril Core. Looteril Core, thank you, yeah. Black's got ways to discard. There's Pack Rat. Uh, you can, in a pinch, target yourself with your own Black discard spells. And there's also some Graveyard Tutors, essentially, uh, in Black. Uh, Entomb is the best of these. It's a single Black. Uh, it lets you get any creature and put it into your graveyard at instant speed. Entomb is actually any card. Oh, it is, yeah. Usually yeah. a creature in this case. Right. I didn't know it was any card. Yeah, because you can go find a flashback spell or whatever. Interesting. I didn't realize that. And Buried Alive is two and a black for a sorcery that lets you put three creature cards into your graveyard. So those are like a good way to get whatever you're wanting to reanimate into your graveyard. And Entombing turn one is one of the scariest things to see on the other side of the battlefield. Because uh, you you know a Gristlebrand or something bad is coming your way on the following turn, most likely. Yeah, Gristlebrand is probably the best card for reanimate because oftentimes for these decks, you're investing a lot of resources into reanimating one spell. So like, you know, you're Entombing for something or you're tutoring for something and then having to reanimate it or you're tutoring for something putting it in your hand then you have to discard it and then reanimate it so you're investing like two or three spells into getting this one giant monster onto the battlefield so you want to make sure that that thing is something you can rely on and grizzlebrand is great because not only does it gain you life if it connects but its ability to reload your hand of spells is so important to then like move past if your opponent is able to deal with that one threat then you can can sort of reload in a way There's another reanimate spell that I really, really like, Recurring Nightmare, but I think it sort of slots into a different style of deck. I don't know if you agree or disagree with this. Yeah, I don't. I I do. And I I don't actually think this deck's particularly good in the Vintage Cube myself. It's it's a bummer because it's one of the like strongest things you can do in non-powered cubes, I think. But uh, yeah, it might just fall a little short here, but worth noting that it doesn't really slot into a regular reanimate deck. So Recurring Nightmare is two and a black for an enchantment uh, that says you, it basically swaps a creature from the battlefield and your graveyard. So you play it and then you return Recurring Nightmare to your hand, swap a creature in play with a creature in your graveyard. So you can do this repeatedly as many times as you have two and a black mana to spend on your turn. But you're going to want to be rebuying value enter the battlefield creatures. Now, this can sort of get be a little too dirtily, a little too slow for the kinds of busted things that we've talked about before. Storm decks, artifact, fast mana. But it, it is a relevant deck. There are a lot of like value creatures in Abzan colors, especially. But, you know, the green has a lot of enter the battlefield, blow up an artifact or enchantment spells. Uh, white has a lot of things that like make tokens or a lot of flickering effects or 
things like that. Black has a lot of like card draw or Necrotal, destroy creature effect. So if you're playing against a less broken deck, Recurring Nightmare can be a really powerful option. But more often than not, this deck is going to want to be something based around just getting one giant strong creature into play off of those cheap reanimate spells. Yeah, and there's also a very niche version of Reanimator. There's a lot of Eldrazi in the Vintage Cube, and Blightsteel Colossus never actually hits the graveyard, right? No. I always, I always mess that one up. I always try to do that with <laughs> Duretti and <Yeah>. other things illegally, <laughs> and then I'm really sad when it doesn't Judge. work. So there's reanimation spells that work at instant speed, uh, most notably Corpse Dance and Shallow Grave, uh, and those are ways that you can actually reanimate the Eldrazi for a turn and attack with them. Uh, and those those kind of go in like sort of a jank Eldrazi deck with uh, Sneak Attack, I think is most commonly where those are found. Like you can sneak attack out your Eldrazi and then also uh, Corpse Dance and Shallow Grave them too. Yeah, for sure. So moving onwards in archetypes, White Aggro, this is not much different from the Legacy Cube uh, version of White Aggro. It's going to look a lot like Mono Red and use cheap creatures in combination with uh, Anthems. There's a lot of token makers that are good with your Anthems as well. This deck really abuses the good equipment that's in the cube. The swords are all here, like Sword of Body and Mind, Sword of Feast and Famine, etc. Those swords give protection from a color that can let you force through damage and some really powerful effects when they uh, connect to the opponent. And Stoneforge Mystics, another great creature here. Uh, it's one on a white for a one-two. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for any equipment, put it in your hand, and then you can tap uh, one and a white, I believe, to put an mm-hmm. equipment from your hand onto the battlefield. Um, so great way to go get those swords and kind of pick whichever one has protection from the deck that your color is using. And then uh, this also gets upgrades in Armageddon and Ravages of War, which destroy all lands for three and a white for some free wins if you get out ahead of your opponent. But uh, those sometimes tend to underperform because a lot of times people on the other side of the battlefield are using the mana rocks like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, So sometimes those cards can backfire as well. Yeah, for sure. The next style of deck we want to talk about is a Stacks deck. So named after the card Smokestack. So Smokestack is four mana for an artifact that says during your upkeep, you may put a soot counter on Smokestack. And then during each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a permanent for each soot counter on Smokestack. So at the beginning of your upkeep, when you have this on Magic Online, you're going to see two triggers pop up and you have to stack them correctly because what you want to do is to be able to have the sacrifice trigger happen first for you and then you add a counter to it so that every turn for your opponent, they're sacrificing more permanents than you. Now, this card is very slow. It's very dirtily. There's a sort of mini version of it in a card called Braid's Cabal Minion, which is two black black for a 2-2 that says basically at the beginning of each player's upkeep, they sacrifice an artifact, creature, or land. So these two cards are like attrition-based cards. Uh, these go in things that are often called like prison-style decks. They lock your opponent out of progressing their board. So you're able to like make them be stalled on mana or stalled on permanence or whatever. You take advantage of this by having value creatures, things that like create multiple uh, permanents for you. Like, you know, there's Blade Splicer that makes a token when it comes into play. There's a Theomancer, which is two and a black for a 2-2 that makes a 1-1 snake every turn if you don't have a snake. Um, there's Bitter Blossom that makes a 1-1 fairy token every turn for you. So these are all cards that allow you to create permanents that you can sacrifice to either Smokestack or Braids while your opponent isn't equipped to be sacrificing cards to these outlets. It's generally going to be a black-white based deck, though I have seen black-green versions of it. It's a slow card. You can get outvalued by it, but it is a fun deck to play, and it is a fun thing, much like Storm. Like, when you win with Smokestack and your opponent has no permanence left, or you've just locked them out of the game and they frustratingly quit, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. Yep, for sure. Another deck here that's kind of like, you know, we've been talking about decks that are all trying to do 
uh, very busted things. This is a deck that tries to ruin other people's fun. Uh, it's called Green White Hate Bears. So there's a lot of green and white cheap creatures, uh, bears essentially, that are two twos or around that power and toughness uh, that have abilities that prevent your opponent from doing all these fun things they're trying to do. Just some of the some of the cards: Kasali Pride Mage, uh, white green for a two two uh, that's got Exalted. Um, so whenever a creature you control that attacks alone, it gets plus one, plus one, and you can pay one and sacrifice it to destroy target artifact or enchantment. Uh, a lot of these decks rely on super powerful artifacts or enchantments to do what they want to do. Um, there's voice of resurgence. Uh, it's one and a green for a two, two. And whenever your opponent tries to cast a spell on your turn or uh, voice of resurgence dies, you get to make a token that's XX power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control. There's Scavenging Ooze, one and a green for the 2-2. That has a single green mana to exile target card from a graveyard, so some graveyard hate on a stick here. Um, And if it's a creature card, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Scavenging Ooze and gain a life. There's Spirit of Labyrinth. It's one and a white for a 3-1 that lets each player only draw one card per turn. Gaddock Teague, uh, one and a green white for a 2-2. It says non-creature spells with converted mana cost four or greater can't be played. And non-creature spells with X in their mana cost can't be played. So you kind of get the idea. And then there's it's kind of the more classic ones that, that get played. Uh, Vryn Wingmere and oh, what's the, the... Thalia, Garden of Thraben. Yeah, Thalia. Uh, that make non-creature spells cost one more to cast. So this deck tries to ruin other people's fun and just attack them dead. And the swords and equipment is also great in this deck as well. Um, and sometimes this deck is like kind of black-white also with uh, Vryn Wingmare and Thalia um, and uses Disruption and Discard and some cheap removal and the Swords to push through damage. Um, so it just tries to keep your opponent off balance from doing their super powerful combo while you kill them with small creatures. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Blue-Green Opposition is another deck that we sort of touched on earlier. Um, it's built around... Uh, Little mana dorks and the card uh, Opposition or Upheaval. So Opposition is two blue-blue for an enchantment. Uh, You may tap a creature you control to tap target artifact, creature, or land. And this is generally used to put a stop in your opponent's upkeep and then tap their lands in their upkeep so that they can't use their mana during their turn. Um, And this is a really annoying way to lock your opponent out of the game. So you use your mana dorks to develop your board in green, and then you land in opposition and then use those mana dorks to tap down your opponent's resources. Upheaval is another payoff in this kind of deck. That's the four blue blue bounce all permanence. Um, So then you float a bunch of mana and use your mana elves to add mana to your mana pool and then redeploy the elves with the mana that you floated. Also just sort of like a blue-green good stuff deck. These kinds of of decks that use the mana ramp from green and the controlling elements of blue like counterspells or cantrips or the powerful payoffs of opposition and upheaval is is a really viable deck. I think definitely very, very powerful in non-powered cube and still pretty powerful here. For sure. Um, There's also uh, some traps that people fall into in the vintage cube, especially if they're not drafting it or super familiar with drafting it. One of the main ones is Oath of Druids. That's one and a green for an enchantment. And essentially, whichever player controls more creatures, the other player gets to reveal cards from the top of their library until they hit a creature. So you're uh, this is like a pretty common vintage deck, mm-hmm. if you're a, a vintage fan at all. So you play Oath of Druids, you want to have no creatures on the battlefield, and then if your opponent has some creatures, you get a flip. Ideally, you only have like two or three creatures in your deck that are all awesome and big, like an Eldrazi or Sundering Titan or something sweet and awesome uh, that you're going to flip into. But the problem is there's not really ways in the vintage cube, like the real Oath of Druids deck has lands that tap, I forget what the name of it is, but it taps to put a spirit token on the other side of the battlefield. That card I don't think is in the vintage cube. It is not. So you're kind of reliant on your opponent playing a creature out before you. 
Um, and mm-hmm. you, they probably will do that the first time. But as soon as they realize you're on Otho Druids, like there's this weird game of chicken where your opponent won't play creatures. And sometimes there's a lot of good good decks in the Vintage Cube that just don't have creatures. Right. Um, so if you get matched up against those, uh, your deck doesn't really do anything. So I would try to avoid Oath of Druids. I've tried to make it work lots of times, and it very rarely comes together. And I think another another trap is a like kind of a mid-range good cards deck that doesn't have a plan. You really need to be doing something busted, like the decks we outlined ahead of time, or you need to be trying to stop decks from doing something busted. Um, there's not really a whole lot of in-between in my experience. Yeah, I agree. So there are sort of like just good general control decks that you can draft in this format. These are often two base colors, and they'll splash for powerful single-colored answers. So like, you know, some sort of uh, blue-white control deck that's splashing Mind Twist or something like that. Um, You need to keep in mind ways to answer all of the above decks. So Hand Disruption is good, Board Wipes are good, Life Gain to outpace the aggro decks, anything like that. These decks still need to be more proactive than reactive. So you can't just be, like, waiting to respond on to your opponent's stuff because that's just going to be a recipe for disaster. You really want to be still posing questions rather than coming up with answers for the stuff that your opponent's doing. Yeah. Um, And then we just wanted to run through some two-card combos that we maybe have not gotten to in these decks that are still really powerful and really fun. The first of these is Crucible of Worlds and Strip Mine. So Crucible of Worlds, a three-mana artifact uh, that lets you play lands from your graveyard. And Strip Mine is a land that can sack to destroy target basic land. So you can play a Strip Mine every turn uh, and destroy one of your lands every turn with your land drop. Essentially, destroy one of your opponent's lands, that is. Another combo that you can get is Mind Slaver. We talked about the Mind Slaver lock, which is a a six-mana artifact that taps... For four mana, tap Sacrifice to gain control of target player's next turn. And then there's a bunch of ways to recur that from your graveyard. So Academy Ruins is a land that puts an artifact from your graveyard on top of your library. Uh, Goblin Welder and Duretti are two red cards we talked about earlier. Duretti is that red planeswalker that swaps artifacts. Goblin Welder is a single red mana for an artifact. For, or, sorry, single red mana for a 1-1 that can tap to swap Uh, an artifact in play with an artifact in a graveyard uh, that are controlled by the same player. So fun fact, you can actually weld to swap an artifact from your opponent's graveyard and their battlefield if you want to. But yeah, that's how that interacts with Mindslaver and another artifact that you control. There's also two pieces of power to look out for, uh, Ancestral Recall and Time Walk. Ancestral Recall, single blue, draw three. Time Walk, one and a blue, take an extra turn and ways to recur those like those are super powerful ways to win games so there's regrowth one in a green return target card from your graveyard to your hand there's eternal witness one green green for the two one uh, that when it enters the battlefield you get to return a card from your graveyard to your hand casting time walker ancestral recall a couple times over the course of a game is a great way to win yeah there's so many combo-y things in this format you can like just do like black lotus into planeswalker on turn one like all the fast mana plus the powerful things that you're doing faster than other people is is a big combo um hexproof creatures with equipment is maybe a more fair thing to do but still a two-card combo you've got a one-card combo written on here what's that yeah bribery uh people <laughs> people people pass this card way too much it's three blue blue you look through your opponent's deck and put a creature from it onto the battlefield every once in a while you'll whiff but most vintage cube decks have some large disgusting creature in them um so you by casting your one card uh just get to go put some giant monster on the battlefield there's also a way to take uh infinite extra turns in the cube there's Soulfire grandmaster plus time walk so Soulfire grandmaster is one and a white for a two two and you can pay two blue blue or two red red or two blue red 
to copy target spell you cast. No, you put that card, you put that spell back into your hand after you cast it. Um, and spells you control have lifelink is also on there, I think. Um, so with six mana, you can time walk and put it back in your hand uh, and take infinite turns. Pretty sweet. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. I gotta, gotta make sure I unlock that this, this time around. So what do you say we look at, at one or two pack one pick ones for the round table today? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so taking a seat at the Vintage Cube Roundtable here, and cards in contention are Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, two white-white for the Planeswalker with four, four loyalty that ruled standard in its heyday. Uh, plus one, it becomes a 5-5 five, five indestructible creature that's still a Planeswalker, prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. Uh, zero, put a 2-2 two, two white knight ally creature token onto the battlefield, or minus four, you get an emblem, creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Uh, lightning bolt, single red for an instant, deal three damage to target creature or player. Bring to light, this is three green blue for a sorcery with converge. Search your library for a creature instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast bring to light. Exile that card, then shuffle your library. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. This often slots into storm decks, yeah? Yeah, as like a, a clunky tutor, yeah. Yeah, clunky tutor. That, that's where I've seen this card most. It seems like maybe an out-of-place card for a powered cube, but that's generally where that card goes. Uh, Wildfire, our boy, four red-red. Each player sacks four lands, then Wildfire deals four damage to each creature. Mox Pearl, we got some power in this pack. Uh, zero mana for the artifact that taps to add white to your mana pool. Warren Power Stone, three colorless mana for an artifact, enters the battlefield tapped, and it taps to add two generic mana to your mana pool. Exhume, this is a reanimate piece, one and a black for a sorcery. Each player chooses a creature card in his or her graveyard and puts that creature into play, so both you and your opponent get to do this if they have a creature in their yard. Dragonlord Dramoka, four green-white for the 5-7 Elder Dragon. Dragonlord Dramoka can't be countered. It has flying and lifelink. Your opponent can't cast spells during your turn, so this is perhaps a piece to that green-white hate bears deck we were talking about. Dark Ritual, single black uh, for an instant, add triple black to your mana pool. Academy Ruins, uh, Legendary Land, tap to add a generic mana to your mana pool, or one and a blue tap, put target artifact card in your graveyard on top of your library. Spell Pierce, single blue mana, instant counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays two. Couple lands here. We've got a Temple Garden, which is the green-white shock land. We've got Bloodstained Mire, which is uh, the black-red fetch land. Tap, pay one life, find a mountain or swamp card and put it into play then shuffle your library oracle of moldiah three and a green for the two two elf shaman you may play additional lands on each of your turns you play with the top card of your library revealed and you may play the top card of your library if it's a land card and finally enlightened tutor single white mana for the instant search your library for an artifact or enchantment card reveal it put it on top of your shuffle your library then put it on top of your library yeah. So the first thing I would look for, obviously, is power. So mm -hmm. slamming Mox Pearl, not really much of a discussion there. If that right. weren't in the pack, uh, I think it's super interesting past that. Yeah. So my my approach to Vintage Cube is I'm trying to end up in one of these decks, either whatever I'm in the mood to draft or whatever I think is most open, because um, there's, a, there's a lot of preference that goes into drafting Vintage Cube. So cards, cards that stand out to me would be uh, Wildfire, because I love that deck. Uh, usually you don't need to pick it this early. A lot of times right. Wildfire and Burning of Junior affects Wheel, but sometimes I might want to lock it up early uh, just because I want to play that deck so much. Exhume, eh, uh, it leads you to Reanimator, but it's one of the worst uh, Reanimator spells. If you were in the mood to Force Storm, you would pick Dark Ritual. This pack is pretty weak past Mox Pearl, so I think Bloodstained Mire, the fetches are always good things to pick 
Um, if there's not a card that uh, leads you down to an archetype, I would take note that Academy Ruins was in the pack in case I saw my Enslaver later on uh, and probably would snap up my Enslaver hoping to wheel Academy Ruins. I think after Mox Pearl, I would probably, if I was trying my hardest to win, I think I would take Bloodstained Mire because I think that leaves you the most open and there's nothing here that really catches my eye to push me in a certain direction. So now you think Worn Power Stone is too expensive and slow as a mana rock. Is that right? Yeah, it's just one of the worst ones. Definitely worse than a Signix that comes down on turn three. Also has the drawback of entering the battlefield tapped. Uh, so a lot of these other mana rocks, like you can double spell in a turn, the turn you play the mana rock. So Worn Power Stone gets knocked in two different departments there. I think it's certainly one of the worst ones in the cube. Yeah. This is really an interesting pack. I think you're, you're spot on. It's Past Mox Pearl, it's really all about preference. Like, if you want to draft Reanimate, you can take Exhum, but it's weak. If you want to draft a green ramp deck, Oracle of Maldaya is a great card. If you want to draft Red Deck Winds, Lightning Bolt is one of the best burn spells you can have. If you want to draft Storm, you can probably, like, take Dark Ritual, Wheel Bring to Light, or take Bloodstained Mile, Wheel wheel Dark Ritual, that sort of thing. I also think there's an argument. Getting an ally of Zendikar has impressed me a lot. I don't actually know if I am just thinking about it in non-powered cube, but I think it's a pretty strong Planeswalker, and you could draft Gideon and hope to wheel Wildfire and go for the red-white control deck that we like. Um, because Planeswalkers slot in really nicely to balance and wildfire. Um, but yeah, I think this all comes down to preference. I'm not as low on Worn Power Stone as you are, but maybe I'm I'm still, again, not in uh, powered cube mode. But I think I'd be on Power Stone after Mox here. Interesting. Yeah, so I think that's a good place to wrap it up. If you've not drafted Vintage Cube, I would watch either Ethan and I stream or watch other streamers or watch videos on Channel Fireball. And once you watch, I don't know, like four or five drafts, I think you would probably get an idea of what's going on and you just need to jump in. It's I think some people don't draft it because it's kind of intimidating and you might lose a lot in your first five drafts or something. But if you press onwards uh, and you figure out how to do it, like if you're generally a good limited player, which you probably are because you care and you're listening to this podcast, you'll figure out how to draft Vintage Cube. And it's one of the easiest ways to draft without spending money, I think. Because if you get good at it, it's pretty easy to 2-1 mm-hmm. in the Vintage Cube. So like after a couple of years of doing it, I could pretty consistently 2-1 the Vintage Cube and just kind of draft for free uh, whenever it rolls around, which is awesome because it's super fun uh, and not expensive then also. It's great. So we're going to do a little mini Vintage Cube treasure hunt achievement list here um we've got five things on the list here gotta unlock all five to be eligible for uh, a draft giveaway we'll uh, enter you into a, a, a raffle for a giveaway for a, a, a draft of either cube or, or rivals of ixalan so these are going to be the following you have to win the game with your opponent controlling no permanence you have to infinite loop time walk ben outlined how to do that previously you have to mind slaver lock your opponent win the game with storm count 15 or greater and get a turn to Eldrazi into play. So all five of those, grab a screenshot, tweet at either me or Ben or Lords of Limited, preferably all three. Or if you're not on Twitter, don't know why you wouldn't be on Twitter, but if you're not on Twitter, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com with that screenshot, um, and we'll track you all five of those, get you entered into that giveaway. For sure. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. And a reminder that our XLN treasure hunt is wrapping up on Wednesday, December 20th. When Vintage Cubes comes out, we are done with that. So uh, get any last-minute screenshots sent over to us uh, on Twitter or at our email. We also have officially set a date for the 18-hour stream, thanks to checking off all 18 of our achievements for the XLN treasure hunt. 
Get hyped, everybody, and get ready to mark your calendars. The day is Wednesday, December 27th from 8 a.m. until 2 a.m. that night. It's going to be a huge party, and we hope to see you all there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of, you can find us on twitch.tv. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Both of us are now streaming basically every day. Come check us out. I've got the AM shift. Ben's got the PM shift. We got you covered all day. Uh, we can tweet at us. Twitter, uh, our handles are at Lord Tupperware for myself, at Mr. Metronome for Ben. And I am at youtube.com slash C slash Lord Tupperware. If you've got any feedback about the show or questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much. Enjoy the Vintage Cube, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.